Welcome, dear listeners, to a world that lies beyond the realm of the ordinary, where the mysterious and the unexplained converge. Prepare yourselves for an audio journey that will send shivers down your spine and make your heart race. Welcome to Chillers and Thrillers, the paranormal podcast that delves into the darkest corners of the unknown and where the shadows hold secrets. Hello and welcome back to Chillers and Thrillers, the paranormal podcast where I read your true stories of the strange, unexplained, and creepy. I'm your host, M, and I hope you're comfortable and ready for some great stories. As always, I'm reading true stories of paranormal encounters that I found on the internet and credit the writer whenever possible. I slightly edit some of the stories for brevity, clarity, and just to make sure it's safe for all ears. I know when I was a kid, I would have loved listening to these creepy stories, so I want to make sure you're able to listen to these stories with your children as well, if they're as creepy as I was as a child. Our last episode was themed around haunted houses. And as I mentioned, we all know a story of a haunted house. Again, that's how many of us were introduced to the concept of the paranormal or ghost stories. But in today's episode, I wanted to look at stories that involve the paranormal events outside of your home, in neighborhoods, in your streets, and in your alleyways. So what happens if instead of seeing a ghostly apparition in your house, you see it in the street you walk down every night? Or what about if a tourist location you visit has entities? Or what if you're just a paper boy going along your daily route when you encounter a neighbor that has some strange guests over? Let's get started. The Shadow People, submitted by Reddit user Fancy Leshy. I grew up in a very safe, amazing tiny town that almost could be called a village. It was very pretty and pleasant at night, so I took a lot of night walks. The sidewalks through town were always well lit and the path itself well maintained. One night, on the path through the town center, I had turned around to look at the moon, and I saw the shadow of a person quickly move behind the edge of a building on the corner. The town has had incidences of unfriendly folk before, but not for a long time, and no one was ever hurt, so I figured if I pretended I didn't notice this person, they wouldn't feel threatened to act out or do something unpredictable. I kept walking, but with my head kind of turned so I might see them in my peripheral vision. But after getting about 30 feet away, I figured they left and I turned my focus to in front of me again. Then, I saw the same thing. The shadow of a person disappearing behind some shrubbery on the side of the road up ahead. At this point, I had two thoughts. Number one, there were two people planning to gang up on me. Or, number two, a ghost? I'm a little skeptical about the paranormal, so I went into survival mode and took a hard left to follow a dirt path down away from the town center and a shortcut to halfway down the sidewalk back towards my house. This path is not well lit, so I ran through it to get back to the lit sidewalk as fast as possible. When I reached the bottom of the path, I ran across a small dirt parking lot in front of a small abandoned pizza parlor and onto the lit sidewalk. I turned around to see if I could see anyone and by the short wall that bordered the midtown sidewalk and the dirt area I had just scrambled down, there were the two figures. They were too dark. The moon was full, 
everything was being backlit well enough that I could see details in the lamps and the decor in the town center from where I just was, probably about 60 feet or so away. But these human shapes had no detail, just black, solid silhouettes. It looked uncanny and it unnerved me. I walked briskly back to my house and when I got up to my porch, I turned around one last time and they were standing at the end of my road. Still solid black and with no detail. There is no way I walked all the way home with them walking close enough behind me to be that close to my house and also have me not hear them walking. The sidewalk is well maintained, but it still has pebbles and sticks and stuff on it. It's almost impossible not to be hurt, especially at night when it's quiet. The Backwards Walking Man, submitted by Jezebel user, Tub of Awesome. To preface this, I've had a few supernatural experiences over the years. I consider myself a skeptical, rational person, and without having had these encounters, I probably wouldn't believe that there is any sort of afterlife. Some of these have been pretty terrifying. The year before this story, two of my friends lived in an apartment that was haunted by a little boy and an angry older man. While that was very creepy and is still something we discuss every now and then, it was your typical haunted house fair. Objects being moved around the apartment, windows and doors opening and closing for no reason, rooms being colder than they had any right to be. Like I said, it was a creepy place that even occasionally turned hostile. The reason ghost experiences bother me less than the backwards walking man is because I can explain it away as whatever is left to people who used to live in that place. I don't know if it's souls or just echoes of things that happen in certain locations, but at least I feel like what I'm seeing has a human link. Anyways, I hope this explains why my story scared me so much more than these other things I've experienced. This was about 10 years ago and I was in my third year of college. It was the first time I'd ever lived alone. I'd had roommates the first two years of college and I was in a long distance relationship. So being alone so often was an adjustment. I rescued a dog so I'd have company in my small studio apartment. Besides schoolwork, I had a lot of downtime. I mostly used this free time to take my energetic dog on long walks. My apartment complex was next to an older part of town with nice houses. These weren't the newer McMansion monstrosities, but came from older money and were mostly built between the 30s and 70s. There also happened to be a beautiful park about a mile away that had a small lake in the middle, so we'd often walk to this before heading back home. It was early November and a little after midnight. I wasn't feeling the least bit tired and had nothing going on the next day. So I decided I'd take my dog on a late night walk. I wasn't worried about the hour. I'm not necessarily a small guy and my dog was huge and would act as a deterrent from anyone messing with us. Also, this was a very nice neighborhood with next to no crime. So I bundled up and we headed out. There was a dense fog over the city and the temperature had dropped down into the 20s, but there wasn't even a slight breeze. So the cold didn't feel too bad. As the walk progressed, I noticed my dog was seeming less and less enthused. Normally, she'd be sniffing everything we came across and walking ahead of me at the end of her leash in excitement. Instead of her normal constant wag on walks, her tail was tucked, and she was walking right by my side with her head down. Her body language was strange, and I began to notice that I also wasn't enjoying this walk as much as normal. The further we went into our walk, the more creeped out I became. 
I told myself I was being silly and freaking myself out because of my dog's strange behavior and the late night atmosphere. But I also decided I had zero desire to walk all the way to that dark park in this fog. Instead of walking back on the same street, I always took a different road back to my apartment so my dog could have new sights and smells to enjoy. So when we got to the next intersection, we take a right. My plan was to walk down to the next parallel road and head back home that way. As soon as we entered the corner, I saw someone walking towards us on the opposite sidewalk. That wasn't that strange by itself. There isn't normally a lot of late night activity in this neighborhood since it's mostly elderly people, but I would see the occasional jogger or biker. I stared at this person and tried to figure out why their presence was so unsettling to me. There's nothing odd about how they were walking. I noticed that they were dressed in black from head to toe, but again, this isn't that strange. It's 20 degrees outside and anyone out walking would be bundled up. My thoughts about this person were interrupted by the sound of my dog. At first I thought maybe she was choking on something because I'd never heard her sound like this. Her hackles were completely raised and she was making a noise in the back of her throat, somewhere between a growl and a whimper. I'm getting more freaked out because we went on walks all the time and she never had any issues with fellow pedestrians. I decided we need to get walking again and head home. The person was probably just another guy out for a late walk and I was letting my dog's strange behavior affect me. I got her moving forward and we continued to get closer to the stranger. If he'd been on the same sidewalk as us and not the one across the road, I probably would have turned around and just headed home the same way we came. My dog was getting more difficult to control the closer we got to this person and I had a cold feeling deep in my abdomen. The stranger continued staring straight ahead and walking with a slow gait. There was nothing threatening about their body language, but I had never felt more scared in my life. Also, we're getting close enough now that I can see them better, yet I still can't make out any features. I expect to see black sneakers, black sweatpants, and a black hoodie, but all I can see is black. It was like I was looking at a dark cutout in the shape of a person. We finally cross paths with the stranger at one entrance to the alley and me at the other across the street. I had to stop because at this point my dog was uncontrollable. She was showing her teeth and alternating between trying to run at the stranger then tucking her tail and trying to run in the opposite direction. I tried to assert some final rationality to the situation and told myself I was being ridiculous. I leaned down to take a better hold of my dog and raised my hand and waved at the stranger saying, Sorry about my dog. She's a little freaked out tonight. The stranger didn't say anything, but at my words, they stopped and turned to look at me. The hair on my arms and the back of my neck stood up and my throat immediately locked up when I tried to make more conversation. I say they turned to look at me, but this isn't necessarily true because whatever was out walking didn't have eyes. My earlier assessment was right. It looked like this person didn't have features and was a black cutout because this was the truth. I was now close enough to see that this was just a dark outline of a person. There was no clothing, no face, nothing except darkness. It raised its hand and pointed at us. 
At this point, I was losing control of my dog as he tried to get away, and I had to decide that she'd had the right idea from the beginning. I got out of my crouch so we could get the hell out of there, and that's when the walker went backwards down the alley. This part is the hardest for me to describe because it was so strange. The shadow person walked backwards down the alley, never turning once, never turning around, but at a pace faster than anyone could possibly run. The closest I can get to describing it is when you would rewind a video with the TV on. It was like that if you had the scene of someone walking forwards and then watched it in rewind. The pace was accelerated and the figure seemed to flicker and jump from one place to the other, all while walking backwards at an inhuman pace. And this is pretty much it to the story. We sprinted the half mile back to my apartment and I didn't sleep much that night. It was months before I told anyone the story or before I'd take walks at night again. I never figured out what that thing was and why it brought out such a primal feeling of fear in me. The only thing I'm sure of is that it wasn't and had never been human. It only wore the shape of a human. Story 3. Paperboy by Taylor Dyson I had a paper route. This was in the mid-1980s. At the time, I was a typical 10-year-old boy living in the suburbs of Cincinnati, Ohio. We lived in a two-story house near the end of a cul-de-sac, and I'd taken over the paper route from a friend at the beginning of the summer, thinking of earning some money and also with stupid dreams of, hey, this could be fun. I had visions of leisurely riding my bike along the quiet streets, firing papers onto driveways with a swift sidearm, one after the other, from some never-ending supply from some magical paper basket mounted on the hood of my dirt bike. It sucked. There would be no bike. Here's how it worked in reality, even though it made no sense. Port your papers. That was the saying. Translation, you had to go up to the front porch of every single house and put the paper on the front stoop. It made no sense because most people in the suburbs don't come and go from their front door. They get into their car from their garage and drive away. Nevertheless, the bicycle riding paper boy throwing dream was dead. This wasn't a big paper like the Cincinnati Inquirer, just a small local weekly called The Suburban Life. Every Wednesday after school, I'd get off the bus at the top of our street, a small cul-de-sac running downhill, of which we lived at the bottom. And every time I'd be coming down the hill approaching our house, I'd be reminded that it was delivery day, by the two big bundles of newspapers that had been dropped off by the distributor on our driveway, sitting there waiting for me after a long day of school. Our house was basically in the middle of the neighborhood. I'd load up with half the papers, make a circuit one way, come back, pick up the rest, make a circuit the other way. 168 houses total. Every month, I'd have to go house to house to collect payment, giving them a receipt when they did, a small slip of green paper I'd peel off a pad like a post-it, each slip with a coupon for a local pizza place on it. For simplicity, I would ring every bell on the route. If they answered and paid, fine. If not, oh well, congratulations, you get your paper for free this month. We were supposed to note who paid and who wasn't home, returning at a later date and time to collect from people who weren't home the first time. Yeah, I never did that. It took long enough ringing 168 bells as it was. I wasn't going to go back again and again. About eight months into the job, I was out collecting. 
My canvas delivery bag rested easily enough on my shoulder containing the collected money, the receipt book, and in a side pocket, the big bag of green rubber bands. This was a cold, bleak, wintry day in January. It had snowed recently, maybe four or five inches or so, and I had gotten a little bit of a late start, so it was already getting dark halfway through the job. I was a stubborn little kid though, so I just blowed on through the snow, trudging through the lawns from house to house. That's when I came to a squat brown two-story house that no one had ever answered the door at. The curtains were always drawn, no cars in the driveways, and there were never any signs of light or life. Like one of those unfriendly houses with the porch lights off that you'd see on Halloween that the trick-or-treaters would just walk right by. But out of habit, I just stomped the snow off my feet on the porch and rang the bell just like I did every other house. After only a brief wait, I heard a latch being thrown and the door opened about a foot and a half. An elderly woman answered, peering out, and I gave her the usual spiel. She paused for a long moment then, looking out past me, said in a distant way, Oh, that will take me a little bit, she said with an old lady toothy smile. Why don't you come in out of the cold for a moment while I fetch you your money? I didn't like doing this. The only other house I'd ever gone into while collecting when it was a kid I knew who'd answered. But it was just an old lady, right? I was led into the dimly lit foyer, and with a bit of effort, leaning on it with her right arm, she closed the door behind me, a latch clacking into place. Moving past me and without a word, she headed down a darkened hallway into the back of the house, leaving me in the foyer alone. I immediately noticed how warm it was. The way you always do on your face, your cheeks and ears stinging a bit when you come in from the cold. The second thing I noticed was that I was very much not alone. In the room to the left of me, a sitting room of some sort, very, very lowly lit, there were five or six people, men and women, middle to old age, casually well-dressed, blazers, sweaters, Midwest church-going outfits, if you will, all standing a bit apart from each other in the near dark, all facing me, looking at me, watching me, all of them remaining perfectly still, perfectly still and quiet, so quiet. In the room to the right of me was the same thing, five or six of them, mix of men and women, same age range, same bland clothing, standing, staring, no facial expressions on any of them, no casual or friendly greetings like, hey there kid, cold out there, ain't it? Nothing but quiet stillness, and the seconds kept ticking. No movement, no noise, not a peep from anyone or anywhere in the house. You know that feeling we all get when a situation is not right? That little voice in your head? That sixth sense that tells you things? We all have that voice. That little voice in my head was hammering the panic button. And then, as one, they began to move slowly from both sides towards me. And that's when I noticed that they had facial expressions after all smiles. Great big smiles. My panic button hammered even harder. 
In a moment, they had stopped to where they now stood shoulder to shoulder on the borders of each room's entryway, hands hanging, unmoving at their sides like statues, smiles nice and wide. You know how when someone smiles a genuine smile, their facial muscles move, look around the eyes and whatnot, lighting up their whole face? Not these. These were not happy smiles. These were mouth smells. These were unfriendly smells. I don't even like typing this part, but they seemed hungry. And still no noise. Silent house. It seemed like time had stopped. And then, I'm not sure from whom, the giggling began. First with one, and then spreading to all. Belly giggles, at first, like a sort of snickering, like a sort of mockery. But their bodies and their eyes, unchanged. Standing, staring, but perfectly still. And that's when the little voice inside me hit the override button and seized the controls. I spun to open the door and it wouldn't budge. This door handle was a particular design, an older design. And the handle was perpendicular to the floor and you would grip it, reaching out with your hand, then using your thumb to push down a latch-like lever above the handle. I couldn't press down the latch with my thumb. It wouldn't move. I wanted out of there so, so badly. I felt like bursting into tears, but I think I was too darn scared to try. I was too scared to even breathe. The giggling grew louder then, meaner as though delighted, with the woman's giggling in particular seeming shrill and cruel. This damn door, the giggling, people aren't supposed to sound like that. I kept jamming my thumb down as hard as I could to no avail until finally I began to just jerk on the handle violently with one hand and hammer down on the latch with the palm of my other hand. I want to think that I imagined this part, but I felt them beginning to move closer to me. Mercifully, I ripped the door open to sweet, fresh winter air and charged out into the snowy twilight. There's a scene in the movie Home Alone where Kevin scares the pizza guy into thinking he's being shot at by gangsters, and the pizza guy flees, charging around the corner, all arms and knees and elbows, flipping and flailing in panic as he stumbles and trips and falls in the snow. That was me, slipping right off the porch and eating it hard into a snow-covered bush, getting right back up and slipping and falling, face in the snow, getting up again, half-falling and crawling, bumbling and stumbling out of the yard, around the house, and scurrying around the corner and just tearing past house after house for safety. Cold and wet, I'd never felt more relieved. I did not look back and did not stop running until I got to my friend John's house. I didn't feel like visiting exactly, but I wanted to get somewhere safe. Somewhere to calm down. Alas, neither he nor his mother were home. I must have sat on his porch for about 15 minutes, just calming down, keeping an eye to the left, down the street, down the way of that house. Now it was dark, and the only way back to my house, the only normal way, was to go back past the house I'd fled. I wasn't planning on doing that, so I cut through several backyards back to my house, jumping over a few fences when I had to. I was relieved in a way to find that my mom and dad hadn't gotten home yet when I got home. I didn't feel like explaining to them what had happened. I didn't quite know if it was even real. Did that just happen? When messed up things happen to you out of the blue, sometimes there's disbelief and denial that anything at all even happened. 
I was still very shaken and my cold, shivering body and wet feet weren't helping matters, so I went and changed into fresh clothes. My dad brought home some McDonald's for dinner, which he often did. I didn't say a word to them about anything that had happened. My parents ate in the kitchen, watching the news, and I ate alone in the family room. Before bed, though, in my room, I noticed my canvas delivery bag that I dropped on the floor while changing clothes. Picking it up, I half-heartedly noticed that I was missing the rubber band bag, the receipt pad, and probably about half the money I'd gathered that day. They must have fallen out of my bag while I was tripping and falling through the snow. Oh well, it didn't matter. I didn't care at all. I was going to tell my parents in the morning that I was quitting the paper route, which I did. They didn't mind, and they knew I didn't really care for it. When you're a kid, you get over things quickly. I don't remember having any trouble sleeping that night, and I went to school the next day as fine as could be. Later, walking home from the bus stop, down our little cul-de-sac, I remember it was a Wednesday. The driveway was empty because my dad had already called the distributor and told them that morning that I was quitting. It was a nice relief being done with the whole ordeal. I noticed something sitting on our front porch. Something brown. And this was pre-Amazon and we hardly ever got packages after Christmas. So I walked up to our porch to see what was there. It was a wrinkly brown paper bag, crumpled down from the top, not folded. I picked it up, opened it, and looked inside. There was my missing stuff that had fallen out of my canvas delivery bag. A big bag of green rubber bands, my receipt pad, and a bunch of bills and coins. And a piece of white paper folded over. When I opened it, printed in the center of the page in capital letters, you dropped these when you ran. And that's all for today's episode. This last story gave me the creeps. I do think it was some sort of paranormal phenomenon, and the description of the people in the house reminded me of the woman who knocked on the front door in the story is Scott Holm that I read in episode one of this podcast. I can't find any names for these type of entities, but if you have any ideas or theories, let me know. They kind of remind me of the black-eyed kids, but seem slightly different. Thank you for listening, and I also wanted to let you know that if you're looking for any stories that did not make the cut for this episode, or previews for upcoming episodes, please go to the Chillers and Thrillers YouTube page, where I post standalone stories and also previews for upcoming episodes. As always, I'd love to know your thoughts and theories, and any feedback you have for the podcast as well. It's a one-woman show, written, produced, edited, everything by me, so any feedback you have is always useful. I hope you ghouls and ghosts stay safe, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to Chillers and Thrillers. I hope these spine-tingling tales of the paranormal have kept you on the edge of your seat. I invite you to join us again soon, and please, again, feel free to submit your own scary story or your theories to chillersandthrillers at gmail.com. Until then, stay curious, keep your eyes peeled for the unexplained, and never let the fear of the unknown deter you from embracing the extraordinary. <laughs>